Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, Calvary. Hey, so good to see you today, and uh, thanks for being here. Just kind of a cool weekend, and uh, all of our in-person services uh, in Auditorium 1 are sold out, as well as the 10 o'clock in Auditorium 2, and uh, so that's cool to see uh, people coming together and worshiping together, and so, so glad that you are here. Also want to welcome those of you that are joining us online, or maybe you're joining us on television. Thanks for being with us on this uh, really important and special Sunday. I think it would be great if we started our time together today by praying for our nation. Amen? First Timothy chapter two, verse one, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Why? who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And uh, Paul gave Timothy those words to be able to encourage the church in how when they come together to worship and when they live in the world around them, they are to interact and to pray. And if there was ever a day for us to pray for our country, this is probably a good one. Don't you agree? So uh, I don't think you need any update, uh, but because these, these messages, these sermons live on beyond this moment, it's good for us to acknowledge that uh, just yesterday the news declared Joe Biden to be the winner of the uh, 2020 presidential election, and uh, last night he gave a speech to the nation, and yet many are uh, saying that election results are still being contested, so we've got a really interesting time in our country, do we not? And I know that some people are happy, And some people are frustrated, and some people are relieved, and some people are fearful. And some people want to know, Pastor, where are you? I'm confident. I'm confident in the sense that God is not caught off guard by any of this. Amen? And his power is not changed by things that may trouble or surprise us. He is on the throne no matter what. His plan will play out, and his love is for real. I know that in so many ways we live in a divided country, and I can tell you this, the church's role has not changed. Amen? And in a world that is filled with so many unknowns and uncertainty, what people need is a courageous church that has a different spirit from the world around them. A church that's going to show love, a church that's going to show compassion, a church that's going to live out its calling because there's too many lost people, and they need to see the love and the hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our priority as his church. And so we're going to pray today. We're going to ask the Lord to help us in this season. So would you join me? Father, we come to you, and we thank you for the truths in your word that help us and guide us in these times. Lord, today we pray for Joe Biden, and we pray for Donald Trump. And Lord, we ask that you would guide and that you would lead and that you would give direction and that you would give wisdom and that you would give your protection. Lord, in this season... Lord, we lift these individuals up to you. We lift the Senate and the House and the the elections that are still being uh, determined in those places as well. God, we we give those to you. We pray for advisors to those on, on national and state and local levels. God, that you would allow people to come alongside who will speak words of wisdom and words of truth. God, we pray for the process that we find our nation in right now. And Lord, we know that we can put our trust and our confidence in you. We pray for safety 
We pray for peace. Lord, we pray for ourselves. Lord, that in these moments, no matter what our feelings or our thoughts are, that we would put our confidence in the one who never changes, in Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday and today and forever. Lord, we pray for souls who more than anything need to see hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And that even in this such a a crazy time that our world finds itself in, Lord, may you be glorified as we see your hand at work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're like any, uh, any, any person who grew up kind of in this part of the world, you probably at some point went to Cedar Point. Anybody? Like I grew up going to Cedar Point, and then that was when I lived on the other side of the state, moved to this side of the state, took my kids to Cedar Point. Like that's just kind of a, a part of the existence. I think everybody kind of has their own favorite ride, kind of favorite roller coaster, kind of comes from time to time for a long season of time. It was for me, the, the Raptor was one of my favorites. Anybody know the Raptor? Like that's the one where you sit and your legs hang and then it just goes and there's certain points where you get enough momentum, it feels like the bones are gonna come out of your feet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I love that ride. I love it. I can remember one time it was uh, a trip that it was just Clayton and I, we were there and Clayton's our oldest son and we were riding the Raptor and I remember two things very clearly about that particular time that we were there. One, I was wearing my favorite hat like, I loved this hat, had gotten it on, on vacation, and it just, it was cool, it was comfortable, I, I looked pretty good in it, you know, so it was my favorite hat, I remember that, and I remember how much joy Clayton had when he was riding that ride, like, those two things, here's why I remember them, one, I lost my hat on that ride, like, that, it was just gone, the other thing, I remember Clayton had so much joy, I just was watching him more than I was watching the ride, so the ride's going this way, I'm turned this way, you know what that means, right, it's not a good idea if you're going this way to look this way, I almost lost more than my hat, and I remember getting off that ride, feeling queasy, and being so upset, like, I knew better, I knew that I was going to lose that thing, but I didn't secure it. It was, just, it was this kind of thing. And the thing is, when you lose something, it hurts, does it not? <laughs> like, they're not going to let you go back in and get that. You can't go up to Cedar Point guy and say, excuse me, sir, can I just crawl around under that moving thing for a little while and look for my hat? It's gone. Like, you are not getting it back. And when you lose something, it's a painful experience. We're in this series of messages called I Am, and we are looking at the statements that Jesus makes about himself. In this season, we determined that it was wise for us to take time and focus on Jesus, and what better way than to hear what he says about himself. And we're gonna look at this next I Am statement. There's seven in the Gospel of John. There's at least two times in the book of Revelation where he makes these I Am Then he kind of fills in the blank on the statements. We're going to look at these throughout these weeks, and and we're at this one now in John chapter 11. Here's the backstory. Jesus is with his disciples, and he gets this message from the village of Bethany. Now, scholars kind of are are a little bit divided on where Jesus exactly was, but we know it would have taken somewhere at least from two to four days for this message to get to Jesus. And in the process, he gets the message from the village of Bethany, and it comes from Martha and Mary, who are part of a family, and they have a brother named Lazarus. 
The Bible tells us that these people were, were friends with Jesus. If you know the story in Luke chapter 10, you know that Jesus visited their house. There's a famous story there about Martha and Mary. And it tells us literally that Jesus loved this family. These were people that he would stay at their house. He had this connection that was with them. And they get this message from Jesus that says, Lazarus is sick. That's code for come and heal him because you're the healer. Do you believe Jesus is the healer? Like we believe this, that Jesus has the power to heal. And they believe that not just today that we believe it, they believed it then, so they send the message, Jesus, Lazarus is sick, that's code for come and heal him. And Jesus says, huh, that's interesting. I'm gonna hang out right here. And he delays going to visit and see Lazarus. He kinda, it must feel like to Martha and Mary, he ignores their request. And a few days later, he says to his disciples, Guys, we probably should head to Bethany now because Lazarus is is asleep and I'm gonna wake him up. And the disciples go, well, Jesus, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. You don't wanna wake him up. And he has to just get real real clear with them because he was trying to kind of break it to him. He goes, guys, Lazarus is dead. And that's where we find ourselves in this story, Lazarus dies. Now, if you were with us several weeks ago, Pastor Scotty Gibbons was our guest, and he he preached on this same passage of Scripture in John chapter 11. If you have not heard that message, go back to our website. Go back to the Toledo Calvary YouTube channel and and watch that. He he looks at it from a very different perspective. We're going to cover it today, and we're going to cover a lot of ground on a big topic. Today, we're going to talk about grief. And I've probably seen the impact of grief in people's lives as much or more than anything else. And I really, it's interesting how God lines things up in his divine providence. And today we're gonna take a look, kind of a deep dive into this subject of what does it mean to grieve. If you're a note taker, there's probably here some things you're gonna wanna write down. If you're not a note taker, there may be some things you're gonna wanna take note of today. We're gonna look at this topic kinda in three parts. First, we're gonna talk about grief and some things we need to know. Then we're gonna talk about you and some things I hope you'll think about. Then we're gonna talk about Jesus as we wrap this message up. So first, I wanna take some time as we look at this story in John chapter 11 and talk to you about grief. We're gonna look here at seven truths about grief, seven truths about grief, seven, tr- have, you, have you seen any of this election coverage where these guys touch the screens and things change? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? Seven truths about grief, I want one of those. I want one of those. Here's the first one. Truth number one, we all grieve. Number one, we all grieve. Here's the the story that Jesus gives to his disciples. John chapter 11, verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For all of us, there are these moments where we will encounter death. And when we talk about grief, that's usually the first thing that comes to our mind. Death is probably the biggest thing that we grieve. Now, we're going to talk about some others here in a moment, as we'll see, but, but grieving is a part of the human experience. If you've not lost someone close to you, and I don't mean to be a downer, but odds are at some point you will. And I know this, that this message is hard for some of us to hear. Like as we talk about grief, there's going to be some things for some of us that are difficult to consider. It's honestly not that easy to share either. <laughs> But it's essentially important. Here's why. Because grief changes you. 
when you walk through this season of grief, it makes you a different person. It changes your perspective. It changes how you view the world. There will be some things that will just never be the same in your life. Sometimes even your physical health can be affected. When you experience grief, grief changes you. Why is that? Well, here's the, here's the second truth about grief to look at today. Number two, we grieve what we have lost. What happens when we grieve is we grieve what we have lost. This story is actually really interesting. It's, it's a little bit crazy if you think about it because Jesus doesn't hustle to get to Bethany when Mary and Martha send the request for him to come. He actually takes his time. Watch what happens then. John chapter 11, verse 17 On his arrival, so Jesus kind of took his time. He wasn't hustling to get there. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, we just say to ourselves, wow, that's a long time. But in Jewish thinking, they would have said, oh, then he's he's really dead then. Here's the deal. In Jewish teaching, there was this idea that death was irrevocable three days after a person had died. There was this thought that the rabbis would teach that the spirit would hover over the body waiting to see if it could go back in. And on on about the third day, the appearance would begin to change. And that's when your spirit would know you're not just mostly dead, you're all dead. (laughs) And then it would would leave and it would depart. So kind of up to that third day, there was still kind of this, we don't know, maybe. But when you get to four days, then you are all dead dead. So this is a big deal when Jesus shows up because Lazarus is completely a lost cause at this point. And now we're grieving the things that have been lost. What else do we grieve? It's not just death. Sometimes we grieve divorce or separation. Sometimes one of the big things that we grieve is change. You see this over and over again in scripture. Here's here's one passage, Psalm 137, verse one. This is written by the, the exiles who had been forced out of Jerusalem to live in Babylon. And they said, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we thought about the good old days, when we remembered how things used to be, when we consider how much our life has changed, it filled them with grief. For some of us, what we grieve is a miscarriage or childlessness, or the loss of a job. Sometimes it's in our relationships, the things that people have said and done that cause irrevocable damage in our relationships, a betrayal, friendships that have been lost, family relationships that have been so damaged that they'll never be the same again. For some of us, it's, it's grieving when we see someone who has lost their faith, or maybe we even fear that we've lost our own faith in salvation in others or in ourselves The reality is that the reason why this election season is so stressful for so many of us is because it is a stress that we experience because it's caused by grief. Whenever we fear we're going to lose something, it stirs up some kind of grief in us, especially sometimes when we're not sure, when there's this long-term stress, and we don't even know what we've really lost in the process. One of the reasons we grieve is we grieve because what we have lost Here's another reason we grieve, though. A third thing, we also grieve what might have been. Sometimes what we grieve is not just what we've lost, but maybe what might have been. Look at this. This is really interesting. When Jesus does get to Bethany, first Martha comes and meets him, and we see this in John eleven twenty one. 21. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. And then a few verses later, it says that Mary comes out to to meet him when he asks for her. And then in verse 32, it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They said the exact same thing to him, didn't they? They said, if you had been here, Jesus, this didn't have to go this way. And they're grieving what might have been because they thought that things should have been different. Sometimes the things we grieve are not the things we've lost, they're the things that we had hoped for, our dreams, our expectations. Sometimes we we look, and social media is great for comparison, isn't it? Where we compare our lives with other people and then start to wish that maybe our lives look somewhat different. Sometimes it's shame that comes into play. Sometimes we grieve our financial situation, our medical situation. Sometimes we grieve when family moves and we, we think about how things might have been This season that we've been in for the last nine, 10 months as a nation has caused grieving among a lot of people in a way that we've not known before because we've lost so many normal things. People that didn't have the dream wedding or the big birthday celebration. They weren't able to have a a proper funeral for that loved one or they weren't in a place where they could be together for a graduation. There were vacations that they had planned on that didn't come together. And for some, we're even looking ahead and they're wondering what will the holidays be like because of all of this that's happening in the world around us and all of this causes us to grieve. Which takes us to the fourth thing, number four. It is important to grieve. Like, this is a part of life. This is something that we need to consider and do. Watch, watch the, the background of this story. John chapter 11, verse 18. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, this was a part of their cultural practice. No matter how poor you were, there were, there were some things that you needed to do as a part of the funeral process. You needed to hire at least one woman who would come and wail. Like she would weep and mourn out loud. You had to hire at least two flute players who would come and when there would be a procession from wherever the, the body was to the tomb, that there would be this music. Now we, we assume from the things we read in scripture that Martha and Mary and Lazarus were not from a poor family, and so odds are that they had, in this process before Jesus gets there, there had been a processional from their home, wherever Lazarus had died, to the tomb. There were women that were hired to mourn and to wail. There would have been flute players. There would have been men who had followed in the procession and would have grieved out loud. There would have been this huge mourning practice. It was a part of their Jewish customs. That's good for us to know because every culture has its own customs around death and burial, right? Like there are these things that we kind of practice as norms and they're important. We need that closure. We need those steps to help us in these really pivotal transitional moments in our lives. We have to understand that we're wired for it to work this way and that it's important for us to grieve and that that grief often happens even over time. Here's a little bit of my story. My dad died 24 years ago after a two-year battle with cancer. Hugely impactful in my life. And I'm surprised by the ways that I continue to grieve. Like there, there are times when uh, over time, repeatedly, I've had this dream where in the dream my cell phone rings and I look at it and it says dad on it. And I answer it 
and nobody's there. Here's the interesting part about that. My dad died before I ever owned a cell phone, technology-wise. So this, this is not a memory. This is grieving that continues. I can tell you, just within the last few weeks, I got, I, don't think less of me as your pastor, I just got ticked off all over again that my dad's not around. Like this grief, it's important that you understand that this is a process that we go through. And sometimes we have this, this tendency to want to, to you know, kind of squash and stuff down those cycles or those seasons of grief. And the deal is we fake it until we break so many times. We need to understand that grieving process and understand this. Number five, we grieve differently. As individuals, we are going to grieve differently. You see this in the story of, of Martha and Mary. If you, if you don't know the story in Luke chapter 10, there's a story about when Jesus came to their house. It really highlights their personalities. But you see it again here in verse 20. Look at this, John chapter 11, verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So you see a little bit of a difference in their personalities. And one of the things that many scholars assume is that Martha was probably older so that meant that in that culture, she had to carry some of the weight and the responsibility. It was up to her to make sure that details were taken care of. Mary had a little bit more of a personality, whereas Martha was busy serving. Mary wanted to sit at Jesus' feet. Like, we've seen these, these contrasts between the two of them, and it's true in life, right? I can tell you from all the different funerals that I've been a part of, there's usually some in the family or the, the friendships or relationships that take on some more of the details and the thoughts and the process that comes. Others, that, that grief hits us in so many different ways. For some of us, grief is paralyzing. For some of us, it leads to unhealthy behaviors or coping mechanisms. And we can be prone to make big choices. We can be prone to make bad choices in the midst of grief. I encourage you, it's important not to move too fast or without good counsel when you are in a season where you're grieving. Some people, they'll ask me, well, Pastor, should I speak at the funeral of, of my loved one when they pass? Well, if there's something stern inside of you that you have something that you want to say and it's wise and it's in line with the rest of the family, then you should do it. But if that's not who you are, if you're not wired that way, then don't feel that pressure, right? Because we all grieve differently. It can change your relationships when you walk through these seasons. It's so important to recognize that and the other thing that I would encourage all of us with, sometimes you'll look at people and you'll say, what's wrong with them? You ever thought that about somebody? <laughs> all kinds of reasons, but like in this context, you go, what's wrong with them? And maybe the reason why they don't seem like themselves or they seem like they're struggling in some way, it's maybe because they're grieving someone, something, some situation, some moment. That's the challenge that they're facing Sometimes they're grieving things that you would not expect. Sometimes they're grieving things that you just cannot understand. Sometimes they're grieving things that they're not even aware of. So how do we respond? Here's a sixth kind of truth about grieving from this passage. Number six, grieving is met by some with compassion. Grieving is met by some with compassion. Here's this passage of scripture. John chapter 11, verse 36 says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, we'll get to Jesus' response in a moment, but you see that some were there, and they were feeling empathetic, and they said, look at how Jesus loved him. Look at how Jesus cares for their family, and there was this compassion that was coming to them in this season. Can I encourage you, when you know someone who's in a place of grief, how do you come alongside of them with compassion in that time? 
I heard Rick Warren talk about what he called the ministry of presence, that sometimes when someone is hurting, the very best thing that we can do is just be there, just be present. And the truth is oftentimes, the deeper the grief, the less that words are needed. We just need to be there, be present, Show up in their lives. We were talking about this with, with some members of our staff. I was just kind of asking them, hey, can you help me think this through? And one of our team members said, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is just show up and shut up. <laughs> it's actually kind of a good word. And can I tell you this? After you show up, be willing to show up again. Because whether you realize it or not, as much as people need you the week of the funeral, they need you as much or more the week after the funeral. To be present, to care, to extend your grace into their lives. Grieving is met by some with compassion. Here's the seventh thing, seventh truth that we see about grieving. Number seven, grieving is met by some with criticism. Some with compassion, but grieving will always be met by some with criticism. John chapter 11, verse 37. But some said, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Do you see the criticism? On verse 36, they're like, look how much Jesus loved this family. And then these other people are like, well, if he's such a hot shot, couldn't he have saved him and kept him from dying? Hezekiah chapter 6, verse 15 says, Every party has a pooper. That's why we invited you. <laughs> party pooper. Do you know that verse? There's no book of Hezekiah. That's, I made that up. I made that up. But isn't it true? There's always going to be that person. There's always going to be somebody who shows up and says, Well, if only, you know, if only you had tried harder, if only you had reached out to that person. If only, if only they'd gone to the doctor sooner. Here's, here's the one that's a kicker. If only you'd had enough faith, then maybe things would have been different. And do you know where the, the largest and loudest of those if only voices usually comes from? It usually comes from right back here, doesn't it? So many times in our own heads. Let me tell you a little bit about these if only voices. The if only voices usually come from a place of regret, unforgiveness, doubt, envy, and fear, and none of those come from God as their source. True? In fact, that sounds more like the accuser of the brethren that we read about in Scripture. And so when those if-only voices come, shut them down. Don't let them, don't let them take a foothold in your brain. Which leads us, as we talk about this, where some of you would say, well, look, Chad, I get it. This, this is helpful. I'm grieving. Now what do I do? <laughs> Like, I know I've been in a place of grief, or I see this in the life of somebody else, or maybe I'm there right now. What do I do if I'm grieving? Let me give you just real quick five things that are important to know. Number one, if you're grieving, accept. Remember, remember I said we were going to talk about grief first, then we're going to talk about you. So let's talk about you for a minute. One, number one, accept that this is a part of your story. Like this grieving that's, that's happening in your life right now. It's not the end of your story but it's definitely a part of it. And it's gonna make a difference in your life. You will feel the loss. There will be lessons that you learn. You will be different. But can I tell you this, and this is important. You can look at something and know that it is an explanation, but it doesn't have to be an excuse. 
And an explanation may tell me why something is happening in my life, but an excuse is something I use to keep me from God's purpose in my life. And you can go through a tragedy and not be a victim. And so we come back to this and we say, I accept that this is a part of my story. The second thing is that it's good for you to grieve, to to, to have the emotion, to, to shed the tears, Some of us need that permission. Here's your your permission today. If you need to grieve, do it. Let those things come out in your life. Make sure that you allow those things. Lean into your grief. Let those things be a part of your life. It's, It's a funny thing, grief. It can come in roller coasters. It can come in waves. There's moments when you're laughing about good memories in the past, and then you're grieving about what's been lost or what might have been, and that's okay. That's a part of our existence. Number three, don't grieve alone. Like, if you're grieving, don't do it by yourself. Find the right people. And if you need to get help, get some help to process this. We have a tremendous ministry here at Calvary that's called Grief Share. It's a group that meets to to help us process and walk through seasons of grief together. Now, we'll start a whole new season of this in January. You can find out more on our website. But what I'd really encourage you with, on November 24th, we're going to offer, through Grief Share, what's called Surviving the Holidays. It's just kind of a one-night time where people are going to come together and talk through, if you're in a place where you're grieving, how do you navigate kind of this season? You can go to just the homepage on our website. When you scroll down, you'll see a a link that's there for surviving the holidays. I would encourage you, even if your grief is not fresh, but it's still very real, this is a powerful thing for you to walk through. And if you are in a place of grief, remember, we don't grieve alone. Make sure that the voices that are around you are voices that speak life and not poison. Does that make sense? Does it to anybody? Okay. If you need to change the channel, change the channel. Get rid of the toxic voices and find a way to find the ones, the people, the things that will speak life into your heart. Let's, let's make this bigger. Let's zoom out for a moment. I think that as a nation, we are all grieving right now. We've been in a season of so much polarization that there is a loss of unity, a loss of civility. We can't be friends if we can't agree. Anybody found that to be true? And in this season, there's, there's grief that's in that. And like we said earlier, this is a season where we shine the light of Jesus, where we change the conversation, that we make it about who he is and his love for all people. We need each other right now, and especially in the church. The church is bigger than politics. It's bigger than issues. It's bigger than elections. The church is about Jesus. And in this season of time, there are too many lost people. We need to walk through this season together, which leads us to the fourth thing. Number four, be patient in your grief. If you're in a place where you are grieving, know that many times the deeper you have loved, the larger the void. And so many of us go, I I just want, want things to be back to normal. And the reality is they most likely will not be, they're most likely will not be a normal again. Life will be different but God is the same. I know this is a silly illustration, but guess what I've done? I got back on the raptor, and I had a new hat. I didn't wear it this time. I held on to it for dear life, and I locked my eyes straight ahead and did not look to either side because I had just eaten. I learned a lesson, and there were things that I have lost 
My new hat does not replace my old hat. And odds are I'll probably lose the new one too at some point. But I've learned that I, I'm gonna learn lessons through the things that I've lost. I know this, God will not waste your grief. Second Corinthians chapter one, he talks about how he uses our sorrows by his Holy Spirit to bring comfort to other people. He will not waste your grief. So in your grief, number five, call for Jesus. When you are in that place of grieving, call for Jesus. Why is that so important? Because that's what Martha and Mary did. That's what this story is all about. So I told you it was going to be in three parts, right? So we've looked at grief, and now we've looked at you. So let's take the time that we have left, and let's just wrap this up by looking at Jesus. Four things about Jesus that we see in the context of grief in this passage. Four things about Jesus. Here's the first one. Number one, Jesus is present in your grief. In the midst of where you're at, in the things that you might be grieving, recognize that Jesus is present in your grief. Watch where we see him in this passage. First in verse 34, Jesus gets there and he says, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Look, he wants to be present in the place where you're grieving. John chapter 11, verse 38 says that Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. You may feel lonely, And you may wonder why Jesus is delaying. And you may wonder, why is this not going the way that I wanted to? And why why did did I lose that? Or why did I not ever get to experience this? And you have these things in your lives. And even when it seems like Jesus is not near, you have to trust that he knows what he's doing. He's working something out for your glory, for his glory, for your benefit, that you can trust him. And you say, Chad, but that's tough. Because when I'm grieving, I mean, even just think about it for Martha and Mary. They're like, Jesus, where are you? Like, why aren't you showing up when we want you to? Why do you let this go away that we don't want it to go? And if you're in a place where you're grieving, can I tell you, let's pull back into where we were a week ago. You need to get close to the good shepherd when you're grieving. You need to know that he's there and caring for you. If you need to listen to some worship music, like tune some other things out and find some ways to listen to some good teaching or listen to to music that's gonna point you to Jesus, if you need to find a way to tune out distractions, if you need to ask for his help, I've gotta tell you, if you say, Jesus, I need to hear from you, you need to read his word, even if you feel like you're getting nothing out of it. Like there's been times when I've read God's word and then I close my Bible and I go, I don't think I got anything out of that, only to find out later that he was pouring into me. I was just too empty to know it. And you cannot say that you have not heard from God if your Bible is unopened. Like get close to the shepherd and recognize this second thing about Jesus. Number two, Jesus is working even when life stinks. Isn't that true? Why do you say it like that, Chad? Look at this. John chapter 11, verse 39. Take away the stone, Jesus said. This is when he got up to the tomb. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. I think it's the King James Version where she says to Jesus, but Jesus, by this time he stinketh. Have you ever known somebody who stinketh? And she's probably right, right? This this dude's been in there for four days. And she's like, Jesus, by this time there's a bad odor for he's, he's been there four days. Like she's not wrong about that. Life stinks, Jesus. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
See, Jesus is working even when life stinks, even when it feels like hope is lost, even when it feels like you have missed out on something. Jesus is working. And there's something powerful in this story because even though there's grief up here, Jesus says to her that you can still believe. And this is a tension that some of us need to figure out. You can grieve and believe at the same time. You can be in a place where you're grieving, where you feel that loss, where you have those emotions, and yet still be in a place where you can trust him at the same time. That's tricky, but that comes to a point where we have to say, Jesus, I trust you. Now look, don't read anything into things that I'm not saying. Is that okay? But I, I wrote this in, a, in an article and, and taught it in one of the Tuesday night things a few weeks back that we do online. And when they did our Thursday night service, I told this story. And I feel like it's important to tell again today. This, this is from several years ago in my own life, right, that I was scrolling on social media. And I saw someone I know who lives in a different part of the world who was writing about an election in a different part of the world. It was not a United States election. It was a different election. And, and she was pulling for this certain candidate. And when she pulled for that candidate, that candidate won in that election, and when the election was over, she posted online, so-and-so won the election, God is faithful. And I looked at that, and I read it, and I thought to myself, if so-and-so had lost the election, would God still have been faithful? Or was his faithfulness contingent on what happened at the ballot box? Like the reality is, no matter who's in whatever seat of power, God is still on the throne. And I have to recognize that even if I'm in a place where for myself, I say life stinks, Jesus is still working. He's still doing something. To which you might go, yeah, but, but as I'm processing that death, or when I lost that job, or when I saw that dream crushed, I wondered, Jesus, how do you feel about this? Number three, third thing. Jesus is moved by your grief. Deeply, emotionally, Jesus is moved by your grief. Look at this, John chapter 11, verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Those words don't, don't serve it justice. When we, we, when we hear deeply moved, we, it seems like Jesus stood there and went, oh, this is so sad. The reality is if you dig down into the Greek words that are there, it has this idea that he was irritated, he was upset, he was angry. Those same words are used in, in ancient Greek to describe like the, like the snort of a horse. I've never done that. I, I don't think I got it right, but you, you get the picture, right? You got that angry. The other day, the, the, the neighbor's dog got under our fence and was in our backyard, and I was, I was in the backyard trying to get our dog back, and that dog looked at me and went, like that. And I went, I ought to kick you right now, dog. But the dog's mom was on, it's all good, it's all good, right? But you get the picture, right? Jesus wasn't just standing there going, oh, this is such a sad moment. He was so irritated, he was so angry that two verses later, he says this, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. But the idea there is not he had that single holy tear that dripped down his face. 
The idea there is that Jesus burst into tears. Now look, that's so funny to me because he's already told his disciples and he's already told Martha. He's already hinted and said, I'm bringing Lazarus back, guys. Like this is an exercise in trust and belief, but I'm gonna bring him back. Like he knows what he's gonna do. And even though he knows what he's gonna do, when he sees how deeply these people are grieving, he is so moved that he is angry and irritated and he bursts into tears. And that wasn't just 2,000 years ago. He's like that with you. Like he keeps track of where you're at. He knows your grief. Look at this, Psalm 56 verse eight in the New Living Translation. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And you may look at that verse and you may say to yourselves, well that was written for for somebody a long time ago in a place far from here. Let me show you this. Let me show you the update on this from 2016. Let me show you what it said there. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected my tears in your bottle. Let's zoom in and see what it looks like in the state of Ohio. Okay, are you ready for that? He says, you have recorded each one of your books. How about we kind of dig down into Lucas County? What did he say there? He said, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. When you are grieving, it's not just that Jesus is there, but he's tracking every step along the way with you. You are never alone in those moments. He's right there with you, which is what led him to say fourth truth about Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Here's what we read. John chapter 11, verse 41. Let's get Lazarus out of this tomb here. John chapter 11, verse 41. He says this. So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may, this is really important, that they may believe that you sent me. Watch what happens next. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. That's a good word, isn't it? Like, I love that part of the story. Lazarus is alive. Why? Because Jesus said this. Here's the whole point. Here's our I am statement. John chapter 11, verse 25, we read, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let me ask you that same question. Do you believe this? Like, this is what we believe. This is a powerful story. And when I read it, I'm so happy for Martha and Mary because they got their brother back. But if I'm honest, I'm a little ticked for me because I didn't get my dad back. And you didn't get your loved one back. You didn't get that job back. And you never saw that dream come true. And I ask myself when I read this passage, it's like this little bit of me, it just says, really, Jesus? You just teasing us with that one? That Martha and Mary get what they wanted, and I'm still stuck here grieving. And you wonder, why, why tell it that way? 
Was he just teasing? Is he just showing off? John, John tells us real clear why everything's in this book. John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are, and this sign right here, John chapter 11, raising of Lazarus from the dead, is the pinnacle of the miracle stories in the book of John. Like if you watch, like this is the point that John's trying to get us to, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And some of us struggle, and we say, okay, you got this whole resurrection in the life business, but I didn't, I didn't get my resurrection that I wanted like Martha and Mary did. And it's important for us to see this. Watch, John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. He didn't say there wouldn't be death. He didn't say there wouldn't be loss. Like, we, we like to throw this one down like a money-back guarantee. Like, Jesus, you owe me something back for the things I've lost. And that's not at all what he was saying here. He did not say, I will provide you with a bonus resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. He says, and if you're looking for life in anything else, you're just going to be disappointed and frustrated. Because there is nothing that lasts forever, he says, but me. Like, I'm the only thing that lasts. The point of this story is not that you get your temporary miracle. The point of this story is that you have eternal confidence in the one who never changes. That you put your hope in the only one who is the resurrection and the life. Life is not about getting back what you lost, but finding the hope of what you lost only in him. Like your life is only found in him. And Jesus is greater. And I know that's hard to hear in your pain. And that's difficult in those moments of grieving. But Jesus is greater than anything that we've lost. And if we're trying to find our satisfaction in a temporary resurrection miracle, we will miss out on the hope that only he can bring because he's the resurrection and the life. Does that make sense? My hope and my trust has to be in him. Everything else in life is temporary. Everything we enjoy, everything we love, at best it's temporary. And we will be frustrated and we will be disappointed until we realize that we will only find resurrection in life in Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the resurrection in the life. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And whether you're in this room or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, you're, you're listening to this message. The reality is that we can spend our whole lives chasing after things, putting importance in things that do not last, that will not matter for eternity. And Jesus said, your hope is only found in me, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I guess I'd, I'd start here. And if you're grieving today, and you would say, God, I need you to, to pour out some of your comfort and your strength and your grace and your peace and your hope in my life. If that's you, would you just raise a hand? You can raise a hand up and put it right back down. Whether you're here or you're watching this somewhere, you just say, I'm grieving and God, I need your comfort today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, put it right back down just between you and God. Yeah, thanks. 
I guess I also would ask, maybe for some of you, you'd say, I've been chasing after so many other things. I've been looking for answers in so many places. And I realize that I'll only find it when I put my hope in Jesus. Him as my Savior, the one who brings forgiveness. As my Lord, the one who gives life. And today, I say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own anymore. I give you my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, kind of right where you are. You say, I can't do it on my own anymore. Jesus, I give you my life. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. Awesome. Heavenly Father, we look to you today. God, we thank you for your word. Your word that reminds us that no matter what we put our hope or our trust in, those things are only temporary compared to your eternal nature and who you are. That you are the resurrection. That you are the life. And that in you we put our confidence and we put our trust and we put our hope. Father, I pray for the one who's grieving today. Would you let them know in just a special way your grace and your comfort and that you'd remind them that every one of their tears, you know, you counted. And Father, that you're right there with them in this season. Lord, that you would help us even in these moments where we question and have uncertainty to know that you are the never-changing always faithful God in whom we put our trust. And Father, I pray for the one who says, I can't do it on my own anymore. Jesus, today I need you. I need your help and I need your hope. I need your presence in my life. I surrender my life. I give my life to you today. Lord, would you let him know that peace, that hope that can only come from you. And Father, in a world that is grieving so much, May we be the light of the world. May we show the love of Jesus. May we shine like stars in the universe and offer to a grieving world an eternal hope that can come only by knowing the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.